Green Automotive News Update. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco-innovations that are changing your world. Back again is our guru of gears, Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive and the host of the podcast, Car Stuff. We'll follow up on last week's show and talk about how to calculate the cost to charge an EV and compare it to a gas car at locations around the country. Tom, welcome back. Thank you. You all rested from last week? I am. I am indeed. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into it. Um, there's probably many ways to calculate the cost to charge an EV. The way I would do it is I'd multiply the rate for electricity that's charged by your utility times the size of your battery, and then I'd divide that by the range. So let's we'll walk through those variables. Uh, the, the rate for electricity uh, varies in the way you buy electricity. One unit is uh, bought on dollars per kilowatt hour. Oftentimes it's in cents. And this can vary throughout the uh, day and it could vary throughout the country. Uh, The second variable is the size of the battery uh, at full charge. And this can be found at the EPA website or in the dealer specifications. And again, it's usually in kilowatt hours. And then the... uh, uh, the range is also found uh, typically in the dealer specs. So, uh, Tom, why don't you walk us through that calculation and uh, uh, give us an example of, of how that would work? Yeah, I did this slightly differently than you did, but we're going to this exact same place. So I, I, I took three different vehicles, a Hyundai Tucson with two-wheel drive, a Hyundai Tucson hybrid, and a Ford F-150 with a 2.7-liter turbocharged V6, which is the most popular uh, engine in that vehicle. Uh, with a gasoline engine, your cost per mile based on $5 gas is about $0.25. Cents. Now, Ford has introduced the F-150 Lightning, which you cannot buy, something we talked about last week. <laughs> You'd have to wait a year, I think, to get, get in line on that vehicle. But that vehicle has 320 miles of range from a 130 kilowatt hour battery. So I just figured out its cost per 100 miles. Uh, and that came to, uh, what is it here? six dollars to drive that vehicle 100 miles or six cents per mile is your cost there down from 25 percent gasoline so that's just the cost of energy but it's a dramatic drop it's about 25 percent the cost uh that's pretty remarkable so there's another factor that goes into that and that is where you're charging and what the local utility uh uh, charges you for those kilowatt hours and we have a chart here that shows uh, what the prices are. So Tom, were you able to do those calculations in four different cities, uh, San Diego, Chicago, Atlanta, and Boston? Um, This is what goes on there. California, almost exactly twice the rate of Illinois. So their electricity is about twice as high. Alaska, or no, was it Hawaii is is 40 cents a kilowatt hour. So very expensive there. Uh, But what's happening here, uh, when we look at these numbers, is I was my numbers were based on 15 cents a kilowatt hour, which is roughly the national average and about the rate in Chicago. And so San Diego is somewhere around 32, 33 cents a kilowatt hour. Uh, Chicago, you said 15. Atlanta, we have at uh, 14 cents a kilowatt hour. And then up in New York, uh, we have it at uh, 12 cents a kilowatt hour. So it shows, uh, you know, I would have thought New York was much higher, but electric rates are hard to predict and they vary uh, throughout the country. Um, uh, 
And uh, California was clearly the highest rate there. And, and that was almost twice as much. So if we compare gasoline in California, which is also very high, how do those numbers compare? Yeah, if you were doing the F-150 again, your cost per mile is probably about 30% on gasoline. And what was it here? Six it goes up to about 12 cents, 12 and a half cents per mile on electricity. So still almost a third savings. Or I'm sorry, a third the cost. You're saving yeah. two cents. So, so the electric car still stands out. And uh, uh, what I wanted to also go is just really drive this home. Uh, with uh, some real-world examples, uh, because there's another issue that comes up when we talk about charging electric cars, and that's uh, single-family homes versus multifamily. So if I have a family with two working parents, and they have two kids that live in a home in the suburbs, and we compare that to the same family, two kids, two working parents, and they rent in a city or an urban area, uh, they have a gasoline-fueled car, they want to go electric. How does this look for the suburban family versus the urban family? Yeah, the problem is in the city. And, and you and I talked a little bit about this offline one day. Um, my, my great concern is about the cost of going electric if you live in the city and cannot arrange for charging at your residence. Because then you're, you're entirely dependent on public charging, which runs electricity cost-wise two to three times, more like three times the regular rate. Um, Electrify America, for example, if you are a member, their rate's about 31 cents. If you do not maintain a membership, it's more like 42 cents a kilowatt hour. So, so that, that's higher than California, and it's starting to approach about the same cost as gas? It's, it's approaching more than half the price of gasoline. So there is savings, but they're not nearly so dramatic. And remember, you have to pay for the price of this electric vehicle up front. So the cost to amortize this doubles, basically. If based basically uh, amortized basically entirely on fuel costs, energy costs. So one of the issues is uh, those chargers may not be readily available. You have to still drive to your charger. You charge it. It takes time to charge it. So how long would it take to get an 80% charge at a public charger? If you use Electrify America and you're using a typical electric vehicle, it's 150 kilowatt and your battery is probably right around 75, 80 kilowatt in most vehicles, to get an 80% charge is going to take you about 30, 40 minutes. So this is quite a challenge. It's hard to buy an EV. It's hard to charge them if you live in the city and you're not in a single family home. And uh, it may, it clearly is going to cost you more to operate that car. Um, uh, so I think this was an unintended consequence of EVs, uh, that we've created sort of an urban versus a suburban warfare on them. It seems like it's a lot easier to own an EV if you live in the suburbs and you have a single family home. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And do you think that's true, that there's this unintended consequence that's divided the country? No, I think I do. And it is somewhat classist. It's interesting how this is going to play out. Right now, you have manufacturers of brands like Buick and Cadillac and Jaguar, and they're all committed to going electric very, very soon. But that's easy for them because their buyer base is single family homes and they can afford a charger and they have access to that charger at home. When we start talking about used electric vehicles or more affordable electric vehicles, we're talking about people who have to pay to charge someplace else. They don't have the convenience of charging at home. Um, and the additional cost of buying an EV, which is still like 25% higher than a conventional similar gasoline product. So the barriers are huge. And, and the compelling reasons to move electric 
are, are not so compelling. Do you see this as a limiting factor to EV sales? Uh, last time we spoke, you said that EV sales were now uh, making up about 12% of auto sales, which is remarkable because not that long ago it was in the single digit percentages. And are they going to hit a cap because uh, the charging issue, especially in these multifamilies, is going to lock out a whole group of buyers? Uh, I do think it's a barrier because I don't see an easy solution to this. Even if public charging became more affordable, which it needs to, uh, and it's not regulated in any way right now, um, even if it becomes more affordable, it's relatively inconvenient to not charge at home. It's going to take time and it's not as easy as getting gas. Well, we're already starting to see behaviors change because of the price of gas. And, uh, you know, we're hearing reports uh, that people are switching jobs because they can't afford to drive to work. You, so those that have EVs it won't, won't be uh, impacted by this. So, again, I see this uh, class warfare sort of erupting by uh, what kind of car you drive. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that coming, too. And it, it's a little disappointing because I'm very excited about the EV revolution. The cars are better cars. And as an auto journalist and as a car fan for years, I'm excited about that. But they do seem a little bit inaccessible to people who cannot figure out how to charge these vehicles at home. Well, I'm seeing China uh, making lots of low-end uh, EV cars. Do you think this will create an opportunity to come into the market and make the people's EV car? Probably not. There's a General Motors division called Wuling in China that builds the, I think it's called the Hangwang uh, Mini EV, something like that. It's a spectacular little vehicle that costs $4,500 uh, in U.S. dollars. And it's, it's, it's as hot as any car uh, selling in China right now. The problem is the car has no airbags and no front, frontal crash protection. It, it would never be certifiable for sale in the U.S. And I've heard calculations that if they were to make it U.S. saleable, it would be 20 grand. So that, that huge, <laughs> huge advantage disappears. Well, whenever there's an opportunity, you know, American businesses are very good at filling that niche. Uh, do you see American manufacturers trying to make a low-end EV? I don't know. American manufacturers right now are pretty content selling vehicles to relatively wealthy people. Um, Michelle Krebs at uh, Cox Automotive recently described new car buyers as affluent. So if we're talking about class separation, we're now talking about all car buyers, all new car buyers as being relatively affluent. Making that transition after that, it, it, it seems like it would be relatively difficult, but manufacturers are making an awful lot of money now, more than they ever have on a smaller segment of the population. Um, I don't know how interested they would be in addressing um, a less expensive segment, a less profitable segment, unless sales were to completely tank. Well, going back to the oil industry, you had a fact that you wanted to share on refining, uh, one of those uh, fun facts. Uh, do you want to share that with us now? Yeah, the point I was going to make about distribution and who controls it was the fact that in the U.S., um, the top 10 refiners uh, produce one third of all the oil, actually one third of the gasoline consumed in the U.S., and they were owned by just six different manufacturers. Well, that sounds almost like a monopoly. It does. It's very close to monopoly. And, and it, it explains to some extent why they have so much price control. So it seems like there's this uh, link between the price of gas and EVs. And so we'll, this is something, Tom, I think we'll monitor in future week, weeks uh, uh, as we have you on the show uh, to see what happens to uh, gas prices and to what happens to the cost of EVs and these charging stations. 
But people need to realize that the oil and gas industry has pumped trillions of dollars in the infrastructure to get that oil and gas out of the ground to that filling station. And it didn't happen overnight. And uh, things are happening very rapidly, but we do need that infrastructure to really see EVs take off from charging stations to better batteries. And it's something we'll keep an eye on. Any, any closing thoughts? Yeah, one of the things when we talk about oil manufacturers and petroleum distributors is that in Europe, we're seeing oil makers doing EV stuff. Shell has got charging stations going in there. Um, and we see other, man, other oil distributors doing things related to energy distribution for EVs. I don't know why, but we do not see this in the U.S. Well, if you remember about 10 or 15 years ago, BP uh, had the moniker of Beyond Petroleum, and they invested heavily in renewable energy and then got out of that business. They realized that wasn't their core business. But lately, I've heard them uh, some inklings about them going back into the renewable energy field uh, because turning gas stations into charging stations definitely seems like a smart transition as we move forward. Any thoughts on that? It feels obvious, and I don't know what it's <laughs> anymore, but additionally, if you've got people hanging around for 20 to 40 minutes to charge, the, uh, to charge their car, they're going to buy a lot of Diet Pepsis and Cheetos. It just <laughs> seems like you could make that extra money off that audience. Or they're going to get smarter. We've heard for a long time that you would go into a service station, they would just take out your battery and put in a charge one and do that in a minute and a half. So. I think that's the other problem is that we have to get past this long wait time to charge. Uh, Americans just aren't, aren't used to waiting. You know, they want yeah, we're not patient people. Uh, uh, immediately isn't fast enough. So <laughs> I think I see lots of opportunities here. And again, something we'll monitor and uh, look forward to you reporting on. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much, uh, Tom, for uh, uh, episode two, uh, uh, following up on, on the EV and high gas prices in gouging. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, the pleasure is mine. Thank you. That's Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive and the host of the podcast Car Stuff with our Green Automotive News Update. Green Sense is an independent radio show. We rely on the generous financial support of listeners so we can continue to produce a high quality audio broadcast that promotes innovators and sustainable solutions that inspire action. If you're interested in being a patron, visit the GreenSenseFarms.com website to download the form. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to GreenSense and check out the GreenSense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 FM, WBBM, Chicago.